Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. so good, isn't it, just to gather as a church family and refix our eyes, refocus our eyes on Jesus. And as we were worshiping, singing, I was reminded throughout the week, it's so easy to get distracted on other things and even take our life as our own and want to hold on to it. And Sunday is a time just to come back to seeing Jesus Christ crucified and Remembering again, He is our everything. He is the one we follow. He, uh, the cross reminds us that God loves us with the love that cannot be broken. So we see Christ in His, the majesty of being our King. We're reminded that, you know, He's got it. He is sovereign. And then crucified reminds us of our calling to, to follow Him into that. And it's good. Thank you. So appreciate our uh, worship team leading us. As uh, Wes was singing, I was reminded of a moment that happened last week that was so good where uh, Wes was on the drums and Tannen, his little son, is watching from home. And we have three video shots. And those of you who are joining us online, welcome to you guys as well. But uh, he was a little frustrated with the video production and he told his mom, Mom, I want the camera to stay on Dad playing the drums, and Tannen's a little drummer already, and I thought, you know what, isn't that a great picture of us as Christians, Um, where do we want the focus, where should our focus be, on Jesus Christ, Psalm 16, 8, David says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, and with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken, little Tannen wants to keep his eyes on dad, (laughs) our eyes are to be on our Lord and that's where we gather to do today as we go to his word now the uh don't you love those days when you wake up just feeling strong when you feel like my dad often says when you feel like you could whip your weight in wildcats bring 170 pounds worth of wildcats and I'll tie them up and you know you just like I can take this I'm you feel like you're equal to the task of the day you're strong, you're, you're ready to charge the mountain, you're, you know, you've, you've, uh, you don't even need the cup of coffee that day, you're ready to go. Those are great days, aren't they? You wake up and you're just ready to attack. Conversely, don't you dread those days when you wake up feeling weak and overwhelmed by the difficulties of life coming at you, and you just want to pull the covers back over your head, hit snooze, and hide from, from all that's coming your way. Today, our focus is what do you do? How do you continue to follow God with courage into your unique life mission when you are overwhelmed by the difficulties of life? We, uh, several weeks ago, really appreciated Pastor Tyson giving category to helping us think through why we feel overwhelmed as humans. Just being human, there are several, and he was quoting an author that pointed out four categories. Number one, we're physically embodied. And these bodies are prone to ups and downs, sickness, fatigue, those types of things, good days, bad days. Two, we are socially embedded, and our relationships are always in flux. Sometimes we're feeling connected. Other times we're feeling very disconnected and alienated and hurt, and we're processing all that. Third, we are spiritually embattled. We live on a spiritual battlefield. This is not neutral ground, and we have an enemy. And the 
intensity of the battle will rise and fall. Ephesians 6.12 says, when your evil day comes. Some days are more evil than others, and, and we feel that. And then fourth, we are sovereignly situated. <laughs> and there are, uh, I was reading recently, one of the, the gifts of seasons is seasons remind us that we're human. We don't control the seasons. No one's going to take a vote and say, hey, should we have winter this year? Winter's just going to happen, right? There are seasons in the redemptive plan of God that are just going to happen, i.e. Jeremiah shutting down the lights on Jerusalem. Bummer of a season to spend your 70, 80 years of life, but sometimes we get placed sovereignly in a season it's just not a good season to be alive, or it's a hard season to be alive. It's going to be a little more overwhelming to be alive in that season. And the question is, what do you do when physically, maybe you're in a, a dip, you're, you're struggling with your health. Socially, relationships are not going well. Spiritually, you're under attack, and your sovereign positioning in God's redemptive timeline is, is a tough season. And the one word that describes your life is weak. You're feeling weak. You don't feel strong. You, you feel weak. What do you do in those moments? And the good news is that God has a clear word for us. And, and he gives us, we're going to look at two texts. One, we'll see a core truth to, to hang on to. And you wake up to that day that you're overwhelmed by difficulties. But two, we're going to watch a guy, Nehemiah, from Nehemiah 4, apply this core truth to his life. And Nehemiah is one example of many examples. But uh, we're going to... That will, those will be the scriptures that we'll dig into today. So if you would, join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll begin reading in verse 7. Just to give context to this, Paul is writing to the church that's been caught up in celebrity worship, and he's building his resume or his credibility so that they should listen to him as an apostle. But it's almost comical how he's doing it. He's like, guys, here's why you should listen to me, but he's trying to do it in a way that he's not boasting and he, we come to the point right here in 12 where he's, he tells them about being caught up by a vision probably into paradise and God giving him some revelation that other people weren't privy to. And, but along with that, here's what happens. Verse 7, Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited from these revelations that he, he received, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, one side note, isn't it interesting that the biggest threat is not pain that we feel in life, it's our propensity to be proud. And God is protecting him from this through some pain. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. The word thorn is, when I think thorn, I think rosebush thorn. Is that what comes to your mind? Or like a splinter. This is actually, the Greek word is stake or stick. So picture a tent stake impaling through his clavicle and and he's got to live with that and it just when he moves it hurts it bends and it's a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan so it's evil in its origin and it torments him scholars have all over the map in terms of what this may be um, some feel it's his psychological struggles with we see he's often in tears over the churches and just all that's going on some feel that it's that it it is his uh oh second I'll run through my the opponents that he would face and which he had many Alexander the metal worker some even uh, speculate it was his wife which he would not have gotten uh, many points in her book if he had written I doubt it was that but uh, 
and others think it may have been just, you know, spiritual oppression, demonic oppression. We, we cannot be possessed as Christians, but we can be oppressed by um, the demonic realm. Others feel, and most feel, that it was a physical torment of some kind or a physical um, issue with the word flesh um, cluing us in on that. So some, there's evidence it may have been his eyesight, may have been, um, you know, a reoccurring sickness like malaria or even migraine headaches, something like that. But whatever it was, it was painful. So that it says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. But the Lord said, no, and, and he said it in this way, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me or overshadow me. And then he says, that is why for Christ's sake, not only does he boast in his weakness, but here he, he takes delight or embraces his weaknesses. And he, he says, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, overwhelmed with these things, then I am strong. Or it's the, the word dunamis, powerful, that's used up in, uh, back in verse 9. And so the, the core truth here, that today this is the core truth for us to, to hang on to, and in those moments when we wake up overwhelmed by difficulties, it's this, to hear Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. You say, what is grace? And grace is, is the undeserved favor of God poured out on our lives. As followers of Jesus, our, our life, we exist by grace alone. We are saved by grace. And as you think about categories of grace, there's the saving grace, which opens our eyes to the reality that we need a Savior, that we're sinners our relationship broken uh, by our sin, and yet we, uh, we know that it, as we understand who Christ is and what he did for us on the cross and trust him by faith, our sin is forever forgiven and our relationship restored with God. That would be saving grace or justifying grace. There's also sanctifying grace. This is the grace God gives us. Crazy, we were singing about it, but where we actually put on the mind of Christ and live out the life of Christ. If you were living your life, you can live it the way Jesus lived it. And, and it's God's grace. It's by grace alone we are sanctified to become like Christ. But it's also another um, hope-filled category of grace is glorifying grace. That, that when we cross through death's doorway, it is the grace of God alone who takes our spirit to be immediately present with the Lord and on resurrection day will make these messed up bodies, glorified bodies, and we will enjoy him and one another, those of us who know Christ, in a new heaven and a new earth by grace alone. But here's the question. How do we get through this battlefield, living out our life mission faithfully? And the answer is by the empowering grace of Jesus Christ. And what we see in this text, beautiful. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient. All you need, always available, always on time for you. And my power, my dunamis, is actually made complete. And it's the word teleon. We don't 
we won't see the complete or the mature or the full power of God as we're operating in our strength, but as we operate fully dependent upon him, which weakness brings us to, Jesus says, my power is unleashed in your life. Therefore, the moments that we're feeling weakest are the platform for God to show his strength through us. This is the truth that we must cling to. This is the truth that, that we live on by faith, and especially on those days when we're feeling weak and difficulties are coming. And Paul, I'm sure he struggled with it as a human, but he got there, as he says in that last verse. I actually delight in these moments. I've trained myself to, to, uh, to think according to this truth as I face the difficulties of life. So here's the question. How does this actually happen in our everyday lives? Is this just like the dew outside? You know, when you go to sleep at night, God gives you empowering grace and just kind of mysteriously appears in your soul and helps you go for the day. How, how does it actually happen? Well, there is a category of grace you could call providential grace where God pursues our good and gives us favor that we don't deserve in ways we can't calculate and we don't fully understand. It's mysterious, providential, all around us. But, there is a category of grace that, that he has called us to be active in placing ourselves in the place where he will provide it. There is a way to access the empowering grace of God by following him to a, what I call a reservoir of grace. And in my mind, it helps me to see four water towers where his empowering grace for us to get through our life mission, he's He's constantly filling up those reservoirs, and he says to each one of us through his word, and we see it again and again throughout scripture, follow me to the reservoir, 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 where you will receive my grace. If we fail to position ourselves at the reservoirs of grace, we will not have the empowering grace to do what he's called us to do. We, we will struggle with discouragement, despair, and um, all those things that, that, that come along with it. You say, well, what is, what are these reservoirs of grace and this is where we're going to follow nehemiah to as he leads us to these four reservoirs now you say why nehemiah we could go many people um, throughout scripture and many places in scripture we could go to see these illustrated nehemiah's story is especially memorable so i hope as you think about in your own life when you wake up with that tough day coming one, you remember the truth, my grace is sufficient, but two, you remember Nehemiah, and it helps us remember these four reservoirs and, and follow him to them. So if you would join me in Nehemiah chapter 4, the uh, just quick context on where we're at in, in the history, God's re, uh, redemptive history, it's 445 years before the coming of Christ is where we're at in Israel Israel is coming out of captivity. Remember, they spent 70 years in captivity due to their re uh, rebellion against God in Babylon. Persia is now the big um, power of the day. And Nehemiah is a guy that grew up in Babylon, Jew, but yet successful, blooming where God put him to the point where he's an official for the king of Persia. He's a trusted, you know, uh, official in his court. Well, Nehemiah's brother comes back from Jerusalem Nehemiah, or God's, uh, the, the country where the, the Jews, their land, and shares what, how it's going there, and it hits Nehemiah's heart. And I love Nehemiah chapter 1, I put out to the side of a, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. Nehemiah starts crying. And I remembered um, Danny sharing last week on how God often forms life mission through our laments and through our tears. And 
Nehemiah is crying and praying over the state of Jerusalem, and God says, Nehemiah, it's yours. Jerusalem needs walls around it. Why walls? Walls protect the city in that, in that day, the people, and for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, needed walls. So Nehemiah asked the king, can I go back and build the walls? And the king actually says, yeah, and I'm going to help resource you. Here's some letters. Go with my authority. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah is really neat. As uh, Nehemiah goes, chapter 2, checks out the walls. But 3, if you read it, you see he puts families around the walls, different families, and each family takes a, another section of the wall. It's a great picture, like of the body of Christ. Everybody doing their job. Well, we drop into chapter 4 where you could put as the title, Overwhelmed by Difficulties, as we pick it up in verses 1 to 3. Here we go. Verse 1. He says, When Sam Ballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Who's Sam Ballot? Leader in Samaria. We know later on he's the governor of Samaria. So he's an influential guy, probably involved with the army of Samaria. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, So you can picture this guy coming up along the walls and probably with his cavalry and talking loud enough for those building the wall to hear. Here's what he says. Trash talking. What are these feeble Jews doing? What are these little weak, weak Jews doing? Will they re really rebuild the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Like, this is never going to happen. Can they bring these stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was with him, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their walls of stone. So they are bringing all the shame-filled, trash-talking discouragement that they can bring. And this is where we identify with Nehemiah and the people. We face the, the negativity, the critics. Maybe there's a sandballot in your life or maybe a sandballot in your head. Um, you've, God's given you a clear calling and you hear the negativity and, and the... Uh, the discouragement. So what's Nehemiah's first move? Hops on his white horse, rides out there to those guys, and he says, do you know who I am? Nehemiah? I am an official of the power of the day, the king of Persia, who could drop, kick all, all you brothers into the Mediterranean Sea if I ride up there and tell him to do it. Is that what he does? Nope. This is eight times this happens in the book of Nehemiah, and it's almost an awkward moment. He just breaks out praying. Verse 4, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over to the plunder, as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Here we come to the first reservoir of empowering grace, and that is to be praying as our first move. We know this, but um, I think good to be reminded, our first move, first move, first move. And this is Nehemiah, even his name helps us remember this. Picture Nehemiah on his knees. Nehemiah on his knees. Nehemiah on his knees. Before he addresses the critics, or even bothers with the critics, he goes to the king. Doesn't go to the king of Persia. Goes to the king of the universe, and he says, God, hear us. And he prays an imprecatory prayer, which is a realm of prayer which we, they prayed over, under the old covenant. That's another message. I don't think Jesus calls us to pray imprecatory prayers today as he models to how we treat our enemies to forgive them and actually pray that God would 
open their eyes to the, the beauty of the gospel. But the principle still stands. The first thing he does is he drops to his knees in prayer. We access the empowering grace of God on our knees. It's interesting, the very next verse, it's significant. What happens after they pray? Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for all, for the people worked with all their heart. Have you noticed those days when you wake up feeling strong, ready to whip your weight in wildcats? Are often the days you struggle to pray? I got this. I got this day. I can handle this. And then what happens is you go out in your own strength. <laughs> At least I find in my own life. I'm not walking closely with the Lord in dependence, and I end up messing it up. I don't do well, make a mess of things in my own strength. But what happens those days when you're feeling weak and yet you start on your knees and you're just like, Lord, I can't do this without you. And you get to the end of that day and you look back and you realize that was only God and yet God was faithful, provided because his empowering grace flows through our prayer. He, he ordained this to, or sovereignly ordained his power to flow to us through our prayer. So what happens next? And then as the story carries on, he, uh, unfortunately, here comes some more opposition. It says, but when Samballot, Tobiah, and the, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the, uh, the walls were, that the uh, repairs to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They plotted together and came to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So here we see they're going from words to, uh, to weapons. And what's bad here is if you look at it on the map, it's a coalition, a federation who, who are coming together. And if, if you map it out, it pretty much surrounds Israel now, surrounds Judah and Jerusalem. So threats continue to come. They plot together, but don't you love verse 9? So what's Nehemiah doing once again? But we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet this threat. They started with prayer. Prayed to God, then they posted the guard. I love this picture. One of the things that, uh, little sayings that has helped me in seasons of difficulty is, trust like a baby, fight like a bulldog. Trust like a baby, fight like a bulldog. And, and they start with trusting like a baby, praying, dependence, but then they post a guard. They do what they need to do. So first reservoir, God pours out his empowering grace as we kneel to pray. Back to the wall. They, uh, verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, so the, if you picture Jerusalem is the capital city, Judah is the surrounding tribe, surrounding area. And, and here's what the people are saying. Now, I, I keep picturing the media. Media thrives on negativity, and they just bring up the bad news, right? Bring up the bad news. Bring up. Well, that's what's happening here. The strength of the laborers is giving out, they said. And there is so much rubble that we, and they say a curse word. This is a curse word in our house anyway. They say that we can't, four-letter word. We cannot. 
rebuild the wall. Strength is given out. Fatigue, can't do it. Verse 11, also, so you have the people around them saying this. Now you have the enemies are saying, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. We're going to go stealth. We're going to dress up, you know, like a, a worker and get right in there and bring our hammer, but while they're hammering, we're going we're gonna to take them out. So you got these guys threatening, you know, stealth attack. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over. And here comes that, ne- and maybe it's not a negative critic that you have, but the negative voice in your head that tells you you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us, attack us, attack us, attack us, attack us. Therefore, I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And I love this picture of balanced leadership. Nehemiah listens to all this stuff, and he he takes what he can that's good out of it, and there is a threat, so he addresses the threat. But here comes the second reservoir of grace, and this is so good. Verse 14, and if there's one verse to just soak in as you leave today and go throughout this week this is it after i looked things over i stood up and i said to the nobles the officials and the rest of the people so first nehemiah is kneeling now nehemiah is standing and he's got something to say as the leader in light of all this negativity that these people are spreading stuff that would just spark fear and spark paralysis to do the mission he's got a word And here's the word, do not be afraid of them. These people who surround us, who are threatening us to attack, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Second reservoir of empowering grace is the word of God. And the place to be here is, we put it this way, be reprogramming your mind with truth. Nehemiah stands here and he speaks truth that's powerful to transform their, their perspective and to bolster their faith in, the, in what God has called them to do. He starts with the threat. I love this. Don't be afraid of them. Keeps it simple. <laughs> now, as humans, we naturally jump. Someone jumps out of the closet at us at night. We're going to jump and you have that temporary fear. But fear... The emotion of fear is simply, for the Christian, gets us, gives us a little adrenaline kick to focus on the truth. And then, once our minds are on that truth, there's no fear. He says, don't be afraid of them. Fear has no place in the heart of the child of God. Fear is of the enemy. And if we're making decisions out of fear, the enemy has a hold in our lives. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But then he fixes their attention on what? And as I mentioned earlier in the the service, as we worship, really, the power of of praise is what? Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. I love it that he doesn't go back and try to yell at all these people who are critics. He doesn't go after Sam Ballot and Tobiah, and we can get all caught up with trying to fight against everybody. What's he do? What's he tell his people? Hey, guys, just keep your eyes on the Lord and remember his greatness. Psalm 16a, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, therefore I will not be shaken. And Fix our eyes on him. He calls them to 
to see the Lord, and then he helps them remember why, the, why they're building this wall. It's for the people that you love. It's for the good of the people that you love. Isn't this good? Fight for your families. You know, see the face of your son and your daughter and your, your uh, wife and your, your husband and your, your, the people in your family that you love and keep on. So Nehemiah says this. The question is this. Who are they going to listen to? Are they going to listen to all the naysayers, all these people saying you can't do it? Listen to their enemies, listen to the Jews that are saying they're going to attack us, attack us, attack us. Or are they going to listen to Nehemiah? And the question for you and me today, who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the media? Are we going to listen to the voice in our head? Are we going to listen to naysayers? Are we going to listen to the word of God and allow it to transform us? And if you do, I say this. The longer I live, I've been on the earth 51 years, and every year my confidence in the Word of God grows stronger. The place we receive empowering grace to fight the good fight is the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit that, that, uh, through which um, no lie of the enemy can stand. It pierces more than a human body. It pierces soul, and it is alive and active, and we live by it, you guys. We live by it. I love the story of uh, Eleazar, one of David's second mighty man. You can read it, 2 Samuel 23, I'll summarize it. They go up to pick a fight with the Philistines, and Israel retreats, and Eleazar doesn't retreat. He stands his ground, and he keeps fighting. Be strong in the Lord, don't move. Stand firm in the faith. New covenant, old covenant. He keeps fighting to the point, the text says, his hand throws to the sword. And when Israel came back, no fighting was happening. They just picking up the dead. He stood his ground. And we're still talking about him today. Jesus follower, let's be people who, whose hands are frozen to the sword of, of the word. Right? Because it, it's not our own strength, but as we live by his word and we swing the word and we hold his promises... We help each other, we encourage each other, we strengthen each other, we rebuke each other when necessary. By his word, God's grace flows and we receive what we need to, to live out the mission that, that he's given us. Amen. The word of God is, uh, is sufficient to equip us for what he's called us to do. And then the third reservoir of, of grace we see is, uh, he goes on, it's verse uh, 15 to 20 says when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it we all returned to the wall each to his own work and from that day on half of men did the work the other half were equipped with spear shields bows and, and armor the officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall and those who carried materials did their work I love this picture with one hand and then they held a weapon with the other picture of holding God's word and each of the builders wore his sword by his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the, officer, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will fight for us. The third reservoir of empowering grace is people, and we'll say it this way, be together to support one another. And the picture here is, that, that sticks out is 
this picture of Nehemiah. So first we had Nehemiah kneeling, then he's standing, speaking truth. Now Nehemiah is with a guy who's about to blow a trumpet whenever he needs it. And the picture is, um, whenever one family is hurting, Nehemiah sees it, tells the trump, trumpeter, hey, blow your trumpet. Here comes the team running, you know, from their part of the wall to support and to help and to, to lift. And I love how, did you notice how Nehemiah said it? When, uh, when we come running, what's going to happen? When we come running to be there for each other and support each other, what's going to happen? Did you notice it in the text? It was the... Uh, Verse 20, our God will fight for us. Where does God show up to fight for his people? It says we gather to help each other. The grace of God flows through us as we come to support one another and, and help one another in our weakness. And so the challenge for us today is be together, be together, be together. And through this season, we've struggled with that. It's been tough, but we've uh, it's been so neat. And I just want to say to a church family, to you as our Church family, well done. And those of us who are uh, worshiping online, together online still, we're, we're together. Small grouping, I know um, it's been so neat to see um, a commitment to small group and even that ramp up as we go through this season because the grace of God flows through community. It's how God created us to, to live. It's how where his grace flows as we connect together. And would just like to highlight an initiative that, through this COVID time, we were challenged to take, and that is we have about 19 elders slash pastors in our church. And the elders, pastors, they're not, it's not leadership like you see in the world. These aren't people who are, you know, out shouting orders and, and all that stuff. An elder, a pastor, is a servant of all. Someone who, who is laying down their life like Jesus to make sure that the body's doing okay. And so appreciate our team. And we've, they have agreed and we've said, let's divide up our church family into 19 groups. And every quarter, we're just going to check on how everybody's doing. Because we don't want one person falling through the crack. If you're struggling, enemy coming at you and you're stranded and you feel like you're overwhelmed. And hopefully, and, and you'll know who your elder is. You can feel free to call them. You can talk to any elder or pastor. But, but that elder, that's like, it's got you. It's going to be checking on you. And I just love that picture. As we, uh, as we live out the, the calling God's given us. The fourth reservoir of grace we see in verses 21 to, to 23. And this one is a category called, we'll call this, I call this the path of wisdom, but it's be wise, be wise, be wise. And we see this Nehemiah's wisdom playing out here as he says, verse 21, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of day until the stars came out. And at that time I said to, to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. So a lot of the towns were outside Jerusalem, and I'm sure those guys wanted to go home and be with their families. But Nehemiah's like, hey, let's, let's keep, keep everybody inside so that we can put up a guard. But verse 23, he says, neither I nor my brothers nor any man nor the guards, took off our clothes. So they're sleeping with their fighting clothes on, their work clothes on. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. And I just see the, the wisdom. When they go, when Nehemiah went for the midnight snack, he, he's like, hey guys, don't even leave your sword, you know, back. keep your weapon with you at all times. Why? 
because of the threat. Wisdom is skill in living, and God calls us to be wise. The book of Proverbs, you see, he says, pursue wisdom, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. It is possible to be spiritually pursuing God with all your heart and all of this, and yet be very unwise in the decisions that we make and, and cause great harm to us and those around us. And wisdom is assimilating in both the Word of God and life. This is where the sciences come in, the, the disciplines of, you know, take what we're going through in the COVID piece of like even the medical piece and be wise, be wise, be wise as we uh, process through all that, that's going on. God's grace flows through uh, the wisdom that, that we accumulate and it's also as children of God, we have the promise of God's wisdom. The day you wake up and you're not sure which way to go in terms of a, a tough decision or a, a, just a, a foggy future, James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it to you generously. And what a gift to just know that God promises that for those of us who know him. And so bringing it all together, how do we, how do you, how do we keep on with the life mission, the calling that God's given us when we're overwhelmed by the difficulties of life? The core truth to remember today is Jesus saying to, to, Paul, through, to us through Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And God will provide all the grace that we need. But we say, how does he do that? And four reservoirs of grace that we see throughout Scripture that Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah leading us to be praying, be reprogramming our minds with truth, be together as a body, and then be wise as you do life. And we're empowered to keep on. I'm excited to share with you this, uh, really this message in template form. We put these in the back, but this is a, We've written up at the top, you have the circle where God's grace is unlimited, the four reservoirs and some helpful things. And then the end goal is that we would become like Christ, to love God, love others. And then the outflow of this, some of the, just the, uh, the realities that will be a, a result of living empowered by the, the grace of God. So I encourage you to pick one of these up. This is a great template to use. This is what we use for biblical counseling, pastoral counseling. You can use this as you parent, as you help each other, as friends in small group. Um, helping your spouse go through a tough time. A couple other resources that are so good. This one, uh, Jenny Allen, Get Out of Your Head, awesome resource. And Tam went through this, and we're encouraging small groups, especially ladies groups, but this is great. It's a study in Philippians. Jenny has a, a master's from DT at Dallas Theological Seminary, biblically based, but yet very practical in terms of helping reprogram our minds with truth. And then this book, Habits of Grace by David Mathis, covers the first three reservoirs that we talked about, and if you want to dig deeper and how to implement this in your life, he, he does not hit the, uh, the reservoir of wisdom, but you can read Proverbs and, and get all, all that you need there, but encourage you to, to grab these. So what happened to the wall? <clears throat> in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in Nehemiah's day. Well, they built it, didn't they? Well, Whatever happened to the wall? <laughs> Today, it's pretty much a site of archaeological digs and tourist stops, right? It was temporary. It, served its per it was important for the time, but it's gone. What has God called you and I to build as followers of Jesus in this dispensation? 
He's called us to build a bridge. We haven't been called to build a wall. We've been called to build a bridge of relationship, friendship, love with people who are far from him to share a message of hope that has eternal impact. If a person will open their heart and their life to the good news of Jesus Christ. Guys, as we go throughout this time, I think uh, you you feel it. When we went through the first part of COVID, we were united as a a church pretty much all around the world. You just felt a deep unity. As we go through, as we're regathering, I'm feeling some lack of unity in our nation, but also it's coming in the church at large. Not in our, I don't feel that in our church. I feel it church in large. And guys, lack of unity is of the enemy. Nehemiah, it, God called him to go build that wall, and here comes the enemy. We must commit because the stakes are high. The stakes, we've been called to build a bridge. Let's not get suckered into getting caught up in all these skirmishes with opinions. But let's receive the empowering grace of God. Let's be praying. And where you see division, let's hit our knees. Let's pray for the person, pray for the church, pray for whatever it is. And let's get into the Word of God and fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm going to get political right now. Uh Uh-oh, Tyson, pray for me, brother. (laughs) Doug, pray for me. I'm going to get political. We have not been called to follow Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We have been called to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus followers in USA 2020, we must keep our eyes on Jesus Christ crucified, who did not use his rights to serve himself, but used his rights, being very God, to make himself nothing, to lay down his life for his enemies. Because he saw a kingdom that was coming. That's our kingdom. This isn't. And we're called to build a bridge down here. We're called to be great citizens. We're called to do all that. But we're called to build a bridge. Let's not lose sight of that. We got each other in it, right? Let's support each other, build each other up. And then let's be wise. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Amen? Amen. Thanks for being here today. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we do just thank you that in our weakness that you are strong. Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. That as difficulties come, that we do not need to be afraid. Fear has no place in the heart of your child. But we need to fix our eyes on you. Remember that you are great and awesome. And then go to the battle. Fight the fight. As we seek to be your presence and bring hope to a world that desperately needs you. Thank you for our church family, Lord, and just supplying the grace that you have. And Lord, we pray blessing over each person here today, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.